This is Jennifer Gonzalez welcoming you to episode 99 of the Cult of Pedagogy podcast. In this episode, we're going to look at seven ways you can quality check your educational tech. In schools, we use more tech tools every year. We also have very little time to vet them for quality. Do the math and you have a formula for some tech choices that may not be serving our students well or as equitably as they should be. It's easy to dismiss this as no big deal. So what if we occasionally adopt something that isn't the very best choice? The answer to that depends on a couple of factors. Are we spending a lot of money on the tool? Is it going to replace other learning experiences? Will it be time-consuming to adopt? Are we expecting it to close gaps and provide remediation? If the answer to any of these is yes, then it would definitely be a big deal if our chosen tool didn't actually do what we thought it did. It would be an even bigger deal if that tool ended up widening the very gaps we were trying to close. This is not to say that schools are just going about their tech decisions all willy-nilly. Surely everyone is acting in good faith. But when all the tools seem ideal, when they all promise to solve some of our most persistent problems, it's pretty hard to figure out which one to pick. What we need is a framework for making these decisions, a set of practices that can help us determine which tool is really going to deliver on its promises. With this episode, I hope to contribute something to that framework. I'll be talking with Rupa Chandra Gupta, founder and CEO of Sewn to Grow, an online platform that helps students set and measure goals. As a former school administrator and the head of an ed tech company, Gupta has been both a consumer and a producer of ed tech. This has raised her awareness of the interplay between equity and technology. Now she wants to hold herself and her peers to a higher standard when it comes to designing tools that meet the needs of more students. Our conversation starts with an exploration of the problems that can arise when a tool isn't carefully scrutinized. Then Gupta shares seven strategies educators can use to deeply assess a tool for its impact. I think you'll come away with some concrete practices you can put into place right now to make sure your technology is actually serving its intended purpose. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, PeerGrade. PeerGrade is a platform that makes it easy to facilitate peer review in your classroom. Students review each other's work while PeerGrade takes care of anonymously assigning reviewers and delivering all the relevant insights to teachers. With PeerGrade, students learn to think critically and take ownership of their learning. They also learn to write kind and useful feedback for their peers. PeerGrade is free to use for teachers and students. And now, Cult of Pedagogy listeners can get three months of PeerGrade Pro free of charge. Just sign up for a free 30-day trial, then redeem the code CULT, C-U-L-T, to extend that free trial to three months. To learn more about PeerGrade, visit cultofpedagogy.com peergrade. Support for this episode also comes from Microsoft Hacking STEM. To engage the leaders of tomorrow, we need to give our students hands-on practice with science, technology, engineering, and math, experiences that reflect academic standards and bring real-world scenarios into the classroom. Microsoft's Hacking STEM is a resource devoted to helping teachers enhance and democratize their current STEM curriculum through inquiry and project-based lesson plans aligned to middle school standards. Using computational and design thinking, 
students build affordable scientific instruments that visualize real-time data in Microsoft Excel. All these resources are absolutely free and can be accessed by going to cultofpedagogy.com slash hacking STEM. And finally, I want to thank you for the reviews you've left for this podcast on iTunes. These reviews really help draw more people in and get them listening. So if you've been enjoying the podcast and you think other people should listen too, take a few minutes today to go over to iTunes and leave a review. Thank you so much. Now here's my interview with Rupa Gupta. I would like to welcome Rupa Gupta to the podcast. Rupa, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Nice to be here. I'm really glad that we can talk about this. You you approached me about this issue um, a while back in an email, and I, I think it's so important that we bring this to the attention of uh, administrators and teachers, really, because teachers are kind of at the front line sometimes of, of looking at the tools we use and deciding whether they're really working. So um, let's start off by just giving my listeners uh, a little bit of background on just who you are and uh, the work that you do in relation to what we're going to talk about. Great. So I have had a few different roles in the last several years. My last district role, I was the administrator of redesign at a comprehensive middle school where we were doing um, a lot of school transformation work. So I was leading up the implementation of that. And our school served a predominantly low-income, predominantly Hispanic community here in California. Um, I left that role a couple of years ago to actually found an education technology platform of my own based on some of the work that we did at our school. And it really focuses on uh, cycles of goal setting, self-monitoring, and reflection for students. Okay. We can go ahead and, and say it, what that is. We can, we can, okay. we can name it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell us <laughs> what it is. Some, yeah. It's called Sewn to Grow. And it, it's based on actually some of, the, some of the kind of hacks that I was building at my last school. And, and the goal setting reflection journey was one of the things that was most empowering and impactful for students as they transitioned to kind of student-led learning. Um, so I decided to, to try and kind of build something that could be hopefully useful and applicable in a lot of different contexts. But, you know, it's been so interesting because in those two roles, um, the last several years, I've been both the implementer as well as the creator or builder of, of these tools. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really kind of helped me think about different ways around how equity and technology come together and interplay. And, and frankly, it's just really highlighted for me how we have to be thoughtful about our design and implementation um, to avoid kind of unintended consequences and pitfalls. Yes. So this is sort of, this is almost like a, a podcast for for the tech designers themselves to have kind of a, an idea of some things that maybe they haven't been thinking through all the way, but then also for the schools themselves, for, for them to be thinking about what they should be looking for. Mm -hmm. Okay. So tell me a little bit about what, what is this problem that we're going to be talking about today? And, and how did you get to the point where you became aware that there was a problem? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I've been working in kind of the areas of technology and in education for several years now. Um, and I think we all know that it's, it's a, it requires a lot of kind of investment of time, of, of resources. Um, there's, you know, messiness with implementation. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of um, excitement around the possibilities around individualized instruction and personalized learning and um, kind of what that can do for, for motivation and for, for learning for, for students. Mm -hmm. But um, I think as I was, you know, responsible for implementing and now I'm designing, I think I, 
uncovered some uh, unexpected kind of gaps. And I, I think more than anything, I think all of us are in education because we want to be closing gaps, not widening them. Right. Right. Yep. Like at, at the end of the day, that's something that's, I think, core to most educators I know, right? We want to be giving opportunity to everyone in an equitable way. Um, and ideally, we're kind of accelerating those who are behind, not leaving them further behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the, t- the interesting things about technology is it sort of amplifies whatever is happening. <laughs> you know, so if we're mm-hmm. in a situation where we um, are widening a gap, it can be amplified by technology. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it happens faster and it happens sometimes under the radar because, you know, teachers and students might not be having every interaction in person right. anymore, right. right? So I think for me, kind of seeing that and frankly, just learning some lessons the hard way of where we saw some of that happen, um, it really highlighted like, wow, we need to be we need to be paying attention, I guess, paying attention to this. Yeah. Um, probably have some like strategies that we use when we're paying attention. Um, and then frankly, just like up-level the conversation. So it's something that we're talking about um, as opposed to something that we're kind of crossing our fingers on. Mm. And, you know, years from now we realize like, oh shoot, that actually didn't do what we expected. And now we have even kind of wider uh, gaps in student learning than, than we'd hope. Right. And I know that there are no, there's no one out there who, who would want to adopt a new tool only to find that it has made some of their problems even worse. And so you are going to sort of go through for us some of the lessons that you've learned in your experience about, you know, some of the things that, that maybe tech companies need to be looking for or problems that can exist with certain tools being adopted. And then what we're going to do is share some strategies that educators can use to make sure that the tools they choose are good for all of their students. Yeah. And I really would say that I think the role of um, kind of teachers and administrators is so critical because based on how you um, kind of vote with your feet on what tools you use, the questions you ask of of designers and builders, um, kind of the expectations you have around transparency, around how data gets shared, around all these things that like truly is the game changer for how um, how this industry evolves. Yes, yeah. It truly is. So I do think the power is really in the ha- hands of teachers and administrators and kind of folks on the front line who um, can see, you know, what's going on and help us change it. I do think, though, it is something that we have to be kind of consciously, consciously looking for. Um, and hopefully, you know, some of the, the things that we talk about today will seed ideas on how you can take that approach when you're adopting something new um, and make sure you consciously look for um, look for some of these things. Yeah, and something that you just said, it, it reminds me to, uh, you know, working sort of on the sidelines of tech myself for the past couple of years, I've really been struck by how some companies really are seeking feedback from teachers and from mm-hmm. users and f- they, they want to improve their products. And I don't think that a lot of teachers realize that, that, that they really can affect change in how these tools operate and, and the, the features that they have and how that, how they can change. And so, um, I don't know, I think that's an important message to get out there too, that if you're working with the right company, they, they want to hear what your experience is and how they can improve things. Yeah, I totally agree. And we, we definitely take that mentality at Zone to Grow. Um, yeah. And I, I know a lot of colleagues and um, who I think have a similar mindset. So I, I totally agree. Yeah. Okay. So tell us a little bit about some of the lessons that you have learned um, as somebody who's been implementing tech. 
Yeah. So my last school, like I said, I was kind of the administrator responsible for the implementation of a personalized learning model. Um, and I think there's a few things that bubbled up in different aspects of that implementation. So first was sort of the, just the reinforcement of the, of the mantra, first do no harm. Um, so here, the example I'll use, we were kind of in our second year of implementation of um, a variety of, ten, uh, you know, intended to be thoughtful implementations of technology in the classroom, and we were selected and funded to implement a, a new comprehensive personalized learning platform. So it's one of these platforms that has um, a lot of components around kind of self-directed learning and there's playlists and kids can uh, pace themselves through their playlists. Yep. So instead of, you know, every student working on the same thing every day, there's a lot of um, kind of autonomy for kids to, to think about what they'd be working on. Um, you know, so we, like I said earlier, invested a, a ton of kind of time in professional development, weeks of professional development over the summer as part of the implementation. We changed fundamentally the core of our instructional model. I, it was a middle school. So, you know, our sixth graders, we did at one grade level, about 300 sixth graders and all, you know, the 12 teachers, um, that team all kind of implemented this, this program. Mm -hmm. um, and since my role, I was like especially assigned to implementation and monitoring, I was able to kind of pay attention and, and do a lot of data analysis as we progressed through the school year. And, you know, when we first kind of pulled the numbers, we saw we were using NWEA as one of our benchmark assessments. We saw pretty significant growth of students overall, kind of if you looked at the average scores yeah. um, on those benchmark assessments when we went from fall to winter. Great, right? Everyone's mm -hmm. excited. Right. But as part of kind of my my work um, and something that I was pretty, especially given the school context that uh, and the students we were serving, where about 60% of students were behind um, in grade level and reading and in math, I disaggregated the data. And what we actually found was our students who were kind of entering sixth grade on or above grade level were, were soaring. They were mm -hmm. doing incredibly well in that self-directed learning environment. But our students who were kind of coming in behind grade level, which like I said, was more than half of our students, were actually far, falling further behind. Hmm. So not just kind of, you know, moving forward at a slower pace or even staying flat. They were falling further behind. Wow. And, you know, I'm all for, I know how kind of the first year of implementation of anything can be challenging and there might be some, you know, some growing pains with that. But we were basically comparing directly to our previous year, which had been our first year of kind of um, personalized learning at our, at our, using our own tools. Yeah. Um, and even compared to that, our students were like significantly underperforming. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. And you know, it was, I will say it was a pretty eye opening. I mean, I just felt so lucky to be able to have a team that we could, you know, I could just share this with, it wasn't news that I wanted to share, especially mm -hmm. given the investment of time and energy. And I mean, everybody rewrote their curriculum, and, you know, like all the work that went in. But, um, I think at, fundamentally the, the team and kind of the admin team and the, and our staff like knew that this was not something that we were comfortable with. Yeah. We just couldn't be taking on a system that we felt like was not designed to close equity gaps and it was widening them. Right. Um, so we, you know, we decided after a year that, and, you know, we saw that trend continue for the rest of the year. We'd committed for the year. So, um, but we decided after that year to basically pause mm -hmm. on that mm -hmm. implementation, kind of step back and frankly go back to the drawing board. Um, because, you know, and our our kind of idea was, you know, well, we got to find a system that helps all students soar. Yeah. We just, we have to design with that in mind and think about that. And um, 
and that's where we that's where we left right. it. So you opted. Let's just we're not going to replace it with something. We just need to stop because this is obviously making things worse. Yeah, I think the the kind of um, how um, the the data was so clear. Yeah, I guess I can say you know if it was a little fuzzy, I think there might have been some room to tweak and kind of modify. But it was um, the disparity was uh, was so wide that it was clear that we had to just stop. Yeah. We had a we had a kind of rethink. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was, I mean, I think it was just a good reinforcement of like, we always have to be, I'm all for innovation. You know, as I was the admin for like, literally my title was administrator of redesign, you know, I'm all for innovation and whatnot, but we do have to remember and kind of figure out when we, when we got to pause. Right. Right. So that was sort of the, the first lesson, or that was one of the, one of the ones that kind of woke you up to this being a problem. So then what was another one? Another lesson was really about how important design design of tools is mm-hmm. and how it can really kind of um, uh, differentially impact certain populations of students. Okay. So in this example, we had um, done a bunch of research. Our math team had done a bunch of research on a, on different math tools mm-hmm. that were out there. Um, you know, and as part of that research, they signed up for free trials and demo accounts and whatever, and played around with tools and whatnot. And it bubbled up from the team that the the um, tool that they were most excited about had you know a really strong, um, rigorous. In, uh, instructional components, a lot of support for students. Everyone was excited. Um, I will say that it was it was like a demo version that they were a lot. We weren't able to um, to use like the full platform, mm-hmm. uh, the full math platform, as part of a trial. Mm-hmm. But every, you know, we did a bunch of research. It wasn't like it was an uninformed decision. Yeah. But I think once we, you know, so we purchased the the licenses school wide um, and kind of off to the races with the math team. Within, I think it was probably two weeks, mm. <laughs> it was quick, yeah. uh, the team sort of raised their hand and they were like, uh-oh, I don't think this is going to work. Um, and there were a couple things that kind of fundamentally we realized were just, I don't, I mean, I will use the word flaws in design, flaws for our context, I would yeah. say, in design. So as an example, um, and I observed, I, you know, I was in classrooms kind of while, while this was happening. Um, the language used in this math program was um, just was I would say you know we were teaching sixth through eighth graders was kind of on or above grade level mm-hmm. throughout. So you know like as an example, and if there's a word problem, like the 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 problem would say something like imagine two adjacent households and the amount of energy they expend mm, yeah. or something like that, <laughs> it, right? Instead of two. Yeah, instead of like two neighbors get their electricity bill, yeah. right? Like just the the language was um, so complex. And, you know, we served a significant population of English learners. Like I said earlier, we had struggling readers. Like they couldn't even access the question. Exactly. They couldn't even do um, the math because of the reading. Right. And it was it was one of those things that so clearly and so quickly when you're observing in the classroom, you see kids kind of reading it, looking confused, lots of hand raising, and eventually getting pretty frustrated. Yep. yep. Um, I think the second thing was actually around how the system provided feedback. So the way it was designed, it, it had very com- like kind of intentionally rigorous and complex math questions, which is great. But um, a student would do ten questions in a row, mm-hmm. but not get immediate feedback on whether they got the question right or wrong. They would do all ten, and then they would get like a a response of you know like you got eight out of ten right or nine out nine out of ten right, whatever it was. 
in our case, since we did have a lot of struggling learners, there were, you know, they do 10 problems and it, they'd spend like a good, you know, 40 minutes of an 80 minute block mm-hmm. doing 10 problems. And then it would just be like zero out of 10. Oh, one out of yeah, 10. Yeah. Yeah. It's really discouraging. So discouraging. Oh my gosh. Kids were like investing the time and trying to, you know, work through it. And, and that like delayed feedback after they had put in a lot, yeah. it was, I mean, it was crushing. Yeah. It was the kind of thing where it's like, this isn't, this is not motivating for me. And then, you know, they'd get the one out of 10 and then they'd be like, oh, and here's all these tips and, um, and kind of hints and whatever. But then they have to go back one by one. It, just the design of that without instant feedback yeah. was soul crushing yeah. first. And so, and so the feedback, and the feedback was just sort of a summary of things that they might want to work on. They didn't sort of link back to your specific problems that you could it did link back where it you know told you how many you got right, and then you'd have to go back to each problem, and you could kind of uncover some hints and things. Okay. Um, yeah. But it was sort of just the way they the way they structured it did not end up being a motivating yeah. experience yep. for students, especially if students are. I mean, I could see how if you're, you know, maybe if students are getting nine out of ten right or ten out of ten, it's like oh, you know, that's right. great, and right. you know, uh, they could move forward without having some of that emotional kind of frustration. Um, but yeah, for students, it just didn't seem like the the system was designed for students who might be getting questions wrong. You know what kills me about this too? I'm picturing, you know, a teacher with a program like this. And this is just one specific program you're talking about. There's probably lots that have mm-hmm. little things like this that are wrong. Is that some teachers are going to interpret that response from that student as a behavior issue. Yeah. They're going to say, yeah. you know, you're not trying or you have a bad attitude or you're just being yeah. lazy and the kid is, they're there and they're ready to give it a try, but they're, they're, they're wrestling with the way this tool is designed. And very few kids are even going to be able to articulate that that's what the problem is. Our, our students, I think that's actually a really important point. Cause again, if you're not paying attention to this, our students couldn't describe their frustration. They just go no. like, I hate this program. Exactly. I mean, their was, I hate <laughs> yes. Which, you know, like, um, which I, you know, when you kind of watch and see, then you sort of realize like, oh, I understand why you're not enjoying this. Yeah. Um, but unless you're watching, I think you're totally right. Right. You're totally right that it can be interpreted as just like a disengaged student, yeah. another, you know, a student who's um, struggling with motivation issues where um, I truly fundamentally think there's components of design yep. that were influencing that. Yeah. yeah I'm with you. Mm. I'm totally with you. Um, and, you know, we gave feedback to our, you know, our contact. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- that, that kind of stuff is not the kind of stuff they can change overnight, no. obviously. Yeah. And, and for me, I think what it uncovered is I was curious sort of after the fact, I was thinking about this and I was curious, I'm like, I wonder who, what classrooms they designed in. Yeah. Like what were the, what were the places? And, and if anything, it just sort of highlights, like you really got to think about kind of where, who you're designing for and, um, make sure you're, yeah. Yeah. Kind of proactive. Right. Trying it. I mean, sometimes I, I, I don't even know sometimes if there is even a lot of testing. Sometimes it's just, maybe they're like hiring teachers to write these questions and, they figure their experience and they should work okay. And I, maybe they aren't even tested. Yeah. I mean, I, the, yeah, it's a good question. I don't know yeah. kind of how this one worked. I mean, it was very pervasive at the time. Right, right. Um, and it was highly, you know, when you kind of did the research, it definitely was. Yeah. So just again, kind of the focus on like how different populations of students can respond differently. Cause I do think certain students like flew with it. Right. right. But 
we just have to be aware of like, hey, if, if it's going to um, kind of have a negative impact on our students who need the most support, mm-hmm. that's something that's scary. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that's yeah. scary. And we can't, you know, we can't ignore that. Right. Yeah. So the last lesson I would highlight, you mentioned kind of the couple of lessons. Um, This one's like a little bit more, I don't know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how, this one's a little more philosophical. Um, I think one thing that I just kind of am aware of and I think about is um, whether some of the things that are most widely used are kind of gap widening or gap closing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I and I wonder, I wonder if, you know, I don't, I don't know that widespread usage doesn't necessarily means good for kids. Yeah. I guess is what I'm, is what I'm saying. Just, you know, yep. um, like I, like a good example, I feel like right now I've seen in a lot of elementary classrooms, digital portfolio apps mm-hmm. that, you know, are beautiful and easy for kids to take pictures of and uh, pictures of their work and send home to parents and, you know, all of that. Um, but I wonder, I'm like, you know, is this a way for parents who are already engaged to get more engaged, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or is it really speaking to parents who we've been trying to kind of bring into the, into the fold? I don't, I don't know. Um, if parents don't have smartphones and computers at home, can they access this stuff? Yes. Or, or you even know? if they're just not super tech literate, I mean, there's, there are people I, I know who seem like they should be tech literate because they've got smartphones and everything, but you start talking to them and you realize like they don't understand what a lot of the apps do or the point of them. And, and so, yeah. 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 And then obviously if a teacher starts relying on that as their main source of communication or, you know, right. kind of main pathway of communication and they're not making calls anymore, or they not, you know, they're not kind of reaching out via other kind of more traditional methods, then like, oh, are we differentially kind of leaving out a population sure, of parents? Right. Um, yeah, because if 90% that, of your students' parents are using a tool, that seems great. But then, okay. then there's still that 10%. Like, are you doing something to reach that 10%? Or is it like, yeah, 90% is good enough? <laughs> yeah. And if you don't pay attention to it, you're like, oh, yeah, it seems like all my right. all my kids and all my parents are good with this. Great. Yeah. Right. But um, and and I will say, I think it's probably likely that if that there is a, you know, a subset of folks who aren't um, kind of able to engage, aren't able to access, it's probably folks who kind of, we, we want to make sure we're not leaving behind. Yes. Right. It's probably most mm-hmm. important to be reaching out to those families. And, and it almost seems like something yeah. that could be built into a tool. I'm thinking right now of a parent communication tool that actually has analytics in it so that the teacher can look at the sort of dashboard and see which parents actually opened the email that they sent out. And then they can sort oh, of, then they can take some reaction then from that point forward to, to reach back out to that that smaller group of parents. So these are features that could be parts of these tools if if we're thinking about them. Yeah. Language is, of course, another one, right? Like having, Mm -hmm. being able to have um, kind of accessibility in different ways. Yeah. Actually, that same tool does have a a translator too. (laughs) So they're thinking through these. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's great. yeah, so I think I think it's just more of like a reminder that we we have to still test for, I guess, um, kind of the the impacts on different student populations and communities, mm-hmm. even if something is super widespread, right? Because um, I don't think that that's necessarily uh, I don't you know I don't I don't know if that's always just like our only indicator that it's great it's great yeah. for kids yeah yeah yep okay. so. Okay. So, so, so this is raising a lot of awareness of, of issues that there could be. So 
if I am now, you know, looking at tools as a teacher and administrator or a tech person for my district, what are some things I can do to ensure that the tools that I'm choosing are good for all of my students? So I think the first and most important thing is sign as sign in as a student mm-hmm. and use the tool. Go yes. through as much of it as you can. Yeah. Um, and it's actually one. This is one of the things that I actually kind of find a little bit frustrating about many tools that I've used. They often don't have easy ways for a teacher to do that. Like we used to have to come up with all sorts of hacks. I'd create fake student accounts. Yeah. And then we, you know, we'd use those. Like it wasn't super easy always. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. To just like sign in as a student and go through the curriculum, yeah. you know, or yeah. go through the content or whatever. Um, but I would just highly, highly, highly kind of make that a part of encourage making that a part of any protocol where you're evaluating something. Okay. Um, and when you do that, I think it's also important to literally kind of put your maybe even like if you have two teachers who are going to sign into a um, assign two teachers to do it, one should like kind of put themselves in the shoes of you know, basically almost like role play, put yourselves in the shoes of different types of students that Mm -hmm. you serve. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, imagine, you know, think of like, oh, um, you know, there's a, there's a student that I'm thinking of specifically, how would he or she react to the different components in this? Yeah. Um, I think just by doing that and really kind of role playing it out a little bit, you sort of uncover some of the stuff of like, oh, that would be frustrating. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, the student would probably get this question wrong. And, oh, that's how it responds. Wait yeah. a minute. Yep. Um, so I do think that's that's really important. Um, and and then you can kind of think about like, oh, based on those struggles, like is that a deal breaker for me or not? Mm-hmm. And if it's not a deal breaker, that's great, right? But there might be things that you proactively do in the classroom to support that student. So even in that like 10 question example, the 10 math question thing that I was yeah. saying, our teachers discovered that at the same time our students did. Yeah. We didn't know. We didn't know that's how it was going to be. But if they had known that, they could have probably kind of let students know that this is part of the, pro- you know, kind of framed it differently yeah. so that it didn't lead to a frustration, it, that it led to, um, you know, a different kind of avenue for students to um, to work forward. Right. So I do think that's that's incredibly important for no matter anything that you're using. Okay. The second thing I would say is I am just a huge proponent in general of piloting yeah. in like a small context. So mm-hmm. before purchase, this I learned the hard way, of <laughs> course, like it's very tempting to purchase things school-wide, you know, like, oh, we're going to do this math curriculum. Let's just do it school-wide or, oh, we're going to use this formative assessment, you know, platform. Let's just do it school-wide. Um and you kind of feel like, oh, if I rip off the Band-Aid, it'll, it'll, <laughs> mm. it might be a little harder, but everyone will get there faster. Right. Um, you don't get there faster. No, no. You create <laughs> and, so much more work and more, yeah, more waste. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't uncover some of these issues that you can work through, that you can like kind of think about and work through. Um, so I'm just like a big believer of piloting and be thoughtful about who you pilot with. Like, you know, if you're doing a math curriculum, maybe pilot with your algebra class and your one of your intervention classes. Yeah. If, you know, whatever. Like make sure you're thinking about, because specifically let's pilot with different student groups and then let's see and ask students mm-hmm. kind of how they're enjoying the product, whether they, they feel like they're becoming better learners mm-hmm. as a result of using the tool. Um, observe them, of course, so you can kind of help and, um, and uh, can, um, uncover issues that they might not be able to articulate but thoughtfully pilot with a diverse kind of set of students. Um, And I think just like a rule of thumb on this, I would say generally pilots that are like, I mean, they don't have to be a whole year. It doesn't need to be a whole year is what I would say. Like 
second semester of, you know, towards the end of the school year, maybe even after testing when you have a few weeks to, um, to kind of play around with things and maybe have a little more flexibility and a little less pressure, like, like a a three, four week pilot of something is, I think gives you a lot of information before making, you know, before kind of implementing something. Yeah. Yeah. Because I do think piloting for a whole year can feel um, – that's also difficult if, like, one teacher is doing something really different than everybody. Yeah, I mean, I get it, yeah. you know. Sometimes you just need to move forward as a team. Right. But I would um, I would just encourage even, like, like three, four-week pilots, okay. a single unit. Okay, give you a lot of information right away, yeah. It give you a lot of information. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do get data from either from the, any tools that you're using yourself or from other benchmark assessments and, you know, um, any other assessments that you're using on your site, break down the results by different student populations. So this goes back to kind of the first example, you know, if we just looked at our average scores for sixth graders, we would have, you know, been patting ourselves on the back and been excited to move forward. But it wasn't until we actually disaggregated the data that we saw um, the big challenge. So, um, find ways to do it. I will, I will say sometimes, um, it's not easy <laughs> to do this. Okay. Sometimes you have to kind of be cutting and pasting from spreadsheets and, and putting it together in a way that you can do it. Um, so I, you know, and I don't, I feel like in different schools and, and districts, there's resources to help with that or people who have more kind of, um, comfort and whatnot. I, we were lucky at our school where we had some expertise yeah. and were able to kind of make that work quickly. Um, but I would just highlight this as something that, especially if you're at the district level or an administrator, like find, figure out a way where you can, um, disaggregate okay. data. Yeah. That's a, that's a really important yeah. suggestion. Yeah. And then kind of my next set of suggestions is around just sort of asking the right questions. Like I, I think even asking yourself critical correct questions around like, why is this tool, how is this tool fundamentally changing something about teaching and okay. learning? And then, and then building from there. So, you know, is it, is it going to, um, kind of give students, um, more opportunities for self-direction or is it just an online version of a worksheet? You know, is it like, what is it about this that's kind of, um, innovative or different? Because I think when you ask yourself those questions, you can kind of think about how that'll play out for different, different groups of students that you work with. Got it. Yeah my brain is sort of going off in another direction right now because I just, I gave a presentation about this, about the things that tech should be able to do for you and, and, and the other things that really don't matter that much. And so it's, you know, can it give a unique experience? Can it make something a little bit more efficient? Can it? Yeah. So anyway, you know, I think efficiency, if it, if it is about efficiency, like, Oh, this, this, um, you know, this tech tool is basically the same thing that I was doing on paper with my kids, but it makes it way easier for me to grade it or it grades it automatically. I can give them feedback faster or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Feedback faster. That's great. If that's the case, just right. like, kind of name it as that's what I'm looking for in this tool. And then yeah. I can move forward with that. Um, but if I'm looking for like a, you know, individualized student experience and it's, um, it's either not happening or the experience is like kind of up level and really down level right. for yep. different students then you're like, Ooh, that's kind of what I have to, like, if that's what I'm looking for, am I getting that? And, you know, um, yeah, kind of paying attention to that. Asking questions of the, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, asking kind of the, the builders, the the, the people who are (laughs) people like me now who are building tools like this, asking them about impact, evidence of impact, um, how evidence of kind of an experience and in working with you know, different mm-hmm. types of learners. Um, 
I think there's not nearly enough transparent information about this. So even if you like just poke around a lot of, you know, popular, popular, um, technology tools, websites, there's always something maybe on impact that's like, oh, you know, we help kids read better. It's, I've never seen where, or very rarely, I should say, seen where it's like disaggregated by different levels of learners or different levels of readers. Um, And I think a lot can get lost in those kind of big high level statements um, that might be impacting your students, you know? So I think the, I would put the, um, kind of burden on on people like me now who you should ask, like, tell me what the difference is between, you know, these different types of yeah. students that I serve. Um, yeah. And if you don't know, how are you going to find out? So, <laughs> because I don't want to be the guinea pig who finds out, you know what I mean? If, if, I'm, if I'm somebody who's actually got a tool, like what are some of the best ways to, to show that impact? Um, I mean, would it be case studies? Would there be testimonials? I mean, sometimes those can be pretty easy to sort of drum up also. Um, do, do, do you need to do research or get, are there universities doing research on specific tech tools? There are. I think the best is like doing just authentic research because to me, um, so for example, I, I actually saw one of these pretty recently where, you know, the, the, I've, I've been, when I was in my district role before my school admin role, I was in the district office and I used to do evaluations of different initiatives and products that we were using. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of laugh when I see this stuff, when, when someone says, oh yeah, when, when kids who use our reading software, um, you know, grow in reading by, uh, whatever, by 1.5 grade levels mm-hmm. in a year or something. Yeah. Um, but then they don't have a control group. They don't have a set of students who didn't use, didn't that. use that tool. Yeah. And right. <laughs> they um, might also grow by 1.5 grade they, levels. Yeah. Exactly. Right. We don't. And to me, the only way for really that I've seen where you can like really diagnose whether something is having the impact that you want. And it's because of the tool Mm -hmm. is by doing a control group kind of thoughtfully designed study. I don't think these studies need to be, um, you know, I think, I think those, uh, you should be figuring out ways to measure as you go. Um, and sometimes that means like, Oh, I'm just going to look at two classrooms, 30 kids and 30 Mm. kids, my control and see what's going on and share that. Mm -hmm. Um, so they don't necessarily need to be these huge, uh, you know, thousands of students across every, I, j- I just, I think un- unless we're kind of putting some pressure to measure results, yeah. we're, I mean, similar to in other industries, like in medicine and other things, right? Like you need to know whether what you're doing is working. Right. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, I do think as a education kind of, especially in the technology space as like a sector, this is being like the thinking is evolving and hopefully there'll be more ways for, for, um, for us to share kind of what this looks yeah. like. But I think the disaggregation of it is really important again, yeah. like staying on average doesn't really help because I do think we've seen averages kind of hide sometimes the, the equity, the equity challenges. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing that I've, I've noticed, um, is that like I was trying to sort of, poke holes in a particular tool at one point because it didn't seem like a good tool. One of my kids was having to use it. And mm-hmm. so I dug into it a little bit and they had their own research, but it was, they had their own tests that they gave. Mm-hmm. And then they compared students' performance on their test to their performance on that same test uh, oh. not nine months <laughs> later. And I thought, well, 
Of course, if it's your test and then all of yeah. your materials are preparing students to do better on that test, of course they're going to do better. Yeah. Like it seems like it's important for them to also do use some sort of outside metric of some kind. I'm totally with you. And I, I'm like laughing because that's the kind of stuff that then they'll make a, t- a bar chart that doesn't disclose any of that. That's just like yeah. students who use it and students who don't like big bar, small bar, right. you know, and you're like, what? but so it was all I, the, in-house. It was all in-house stuff. So it's like, eh. yeah, I think applying a critical eye to any sort of study is always really healthy. Like I, I mentioned already one where they didn't have a control group. So mm-hmm. you're like, well, what are we comparing against? So that's yeah. not well designed. Yeah. And immediately for me, I'm like, okay, so that I'm going to just pretend that study didn't exist right? because that's not, it doesn't even, it doesn't tell us any information. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I've seen some where they like really kind of make the leap of correlation to causation uh, in kind of a hysterical way. Um, there was one that was a, a grammar software. Mm-hmm. It was grammar. Yeah. And um, they found that they did, you know, whatever their internal study. And they found that, students who use the grammar software performed better on um, end-of-state tests, like SBAC, which is what we use in California. Uh-huh. Um, SBAC doesn't test grammar. Oh, There's geez. nothing on SBAC about grammar. Oh. So you're like, <laughs> well, I'm guessing the teachers who are using your software are also teaching their kids. Maybe that, in a way you know what I mean? Right. Like yes, yes. In a way no relationship. Like, this is not related to, <laughs> right? Because the, the test like fundamentally doesn't, test on grammar. So how can we be making a, a, an assumption or kind of saying that that connection is, is real? And it, it just like kind of screamed at me around like, hey, we can't be connecting correlation and causation. There's a whole yeah. other set of factors. But um, but again, if you don't kind of think critically yeah. about some of the statements that are being made, it's easy to see like, oh, if my kids use this tool, they'll do better on interstate tests. Yeah. Great. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I do feel like there's probably room for some sort of watchdog. I don't know. Do you want to be this watchdog? <laughs> I, would, I would need to hire a whole staff. Yeah, right. Yeah, we just say and be like uh, correlation without causation, like kind of like a like a fact. You know how they have in political stuff the fact checking. Yeah, I feel like you need a, right. Some sort of like research checking on like are you making assumptions here that uh, are not valid or extend this? Yeah. Um, beyond what it was designed There's to do. There's room out there um, for whoever wants to start that up. Go do that. <laughs> <laughs> I would gladly um, support that because I do think, because I mean, frankly, it's just one of those things like, you know, your average um, educator isn't trained to be critically looking at research no. studies and figuring out what They either to really no, dig through all of that. Nobody has mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. And sometimes this stuff is like really buried. Um really buried in kind of like the, you know, the assumptions or language. Uh, yeah. So I really do feel like maybe, maybe some of these, um, I think there's a few different online program or online tool, um, websites that kind of rate apps and things. Maybe they need to add like a, is yes, the research valid? Common Sense Media does, they Common might sense. be able to add yeah. that piece. Okay. Ooh. I'll get on the phone. <laughs> we, should, we should totally drop them a line. Yes. Honestly. Because I do think if there's like a place where you could trust a source of like, Hey, that research yep. is, you know, pretty legit, not legit mm-hmm. at all, or like truly the, you know, best in class independent study in partnership with the university. Yeah. Like if you had some, some sort of way to assess it, I think that would be. That'd be great. At least helpful. having some layer of somebody just looking at it a little bit longer yeah. than, yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. Um, I guess the last kind of thing I'm thinking about is just kind of that educator sense that I think all of your, your, the folks you interact with have on like, 
is this good or is this mm-hmm. not? <laughs> I mean, even what you're describing around like the tool that your yep. one of your kids was using where you're like, the educator in me is feeling like this is not, yeah. you know, the the right path forward or is this not having the impact that it's supposed to be having. Um, that I don't know. I think experienced educators have such a amazing kind of sense for what's yeah. going to work well for, particularly for yeah. their students in their context. So kind of trusting your gut a little bit. And and it doesn't necessarily mean that anything that gives you a cause for pause is something that you have to scrap. It's more like, okay, this is making me nervous about X, Y, and Z. What scaffolds am I going to put into place? Or what what instructional strategies will I use? And, you know, and then if those still don't work, then maybe kind of let me look at other tools that will be better, a better fit for me. But um yeah, just kind of really, I think even with the math example that I was sharing earlier, I think initially when the math teachers came to me, like something yeah. doesn't feel right about this and they couldn't even mm-hmm. necessarily articulate some of the things that we eventually identified. They're yeah. just like, something's not right. Um, it took us a while. I had to like go and observe and we did, you know, we kind of spent a, like a couple of weeks just yeah. diagnosing. Um, but it was, the reason we did that is because it was flagged. It was flagged, but I still remember one of our, our sixth grade math teachers like something, yeah. this isn't working the way. So trust that. Yeah. And you know, I think kids are actually probably yeah. the first litmus test of that. I mean, this is the reason I started to dig into this one tool because my son was coming home every day saying how much he hated working on this thing. And he's like, they're always making us get on this thing. And I'm just thinking he'll play Fortnite for four hours. He loves technology. So it's not the fact that he's being plugged into some app. It's what's going on with that app. And he's an avid reader and he likes to be challenged. So I'm thinking if your kids hate doing it, that's a sign that maybe something is not right. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think that's a really good um, place to start because I, I like fundamentally believe that not all, not only like all kids can learn. All kids want to learn. I think so. You know, yeah. like they are wired to want to learn, mm-hmm. you know, and if, if there are things that are getting in the way with that, we got to kind of reevaluate those things, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm with you. And I mean, at the end of the day, none of this is intended to kind of, you know, suggest that teachers stop using things that they like or, right. you know, like kind of drop it all. And yeah. I, that's not the intent at all. It's it's meant to more just be kind of consciously thinking about. And when you are testing new, new tools and ideas, make sure that you're like, I would just love to kind of make sure that this is a, this thinking is a part of the protocol, you know, part of the kind of thing that you report back out to, to the leadership team with right. or whatever. Um, because if we can elevate it in the conversation, then I think it's just more likely that the whole system will adjust to make sure that it's, um, elevated in importance. Yeah. Right. Yes. So if people want to find you online, where would they go? Yeah. So, I mean, this, I'm obviously personally fired up by all of this. So I would love to engage and, um, and talk more, um, and get feedback, frankly, on some of the stuff we're trying to do yeah. to, to address this stuff pro- proactively. So, I mean, you can always, of course, find me. I'm on Twitter at Rupa underscore C underscore G. Mm-hmm. Um, my email is Rupa at Sondagro.com. Okay. Um, one thing that I would love if people want to go check out, one of the things that we um, fairly recently launched is our um, at Sondagrow, our impact page, where we try to actually be really transparent mm-hmm. about um, – you know, uh, who our product, who our tool serves and what the impact is and just like different, uh, 
kind of cuts of data that I wish I had with other tools. That I yes, use. Yes. So if you want to go check it out and let us know if you think it's, I mean, it's a start. I won't say it's perfect by any means, but would love your feedback there. So that's just going to sewntogrow.com at a slash impact okay. um, and send us feedback, send us kind of the questions you have and um, help us get better, help us kind of make sure that we're always, always serving all students and um, and kind of accelerating the growth for our, our most vulnerable students. Awesome. Awesome. And just in case people are in their cars listening and they don't quite know what Rupa's saying when she's saying Sewn to Grow, this is Sewn like the gardening, S-O-W-N-T-O-G-R-O-W.com. And I'm going to have links to all of these things that Rupa's mentioning um, over on Cult of Pedagogy too. This is going to be, I believe, episode 99. <laughs> I think so, but I'll mention that also in the okay. outro. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, for raising awareness of this issue. I think this is so important. Awesome. Thank you so much for engaging. And I think, I mean, I, I don't think any of us have all the answers no. um, yeah. on this, but hopefully we can just uh, inspire more conversation. And I, I like truly believe in the um, the power of educators who are all, like in my experience, are all kind of wholly committed to doing right by kids. And if we use that power, um, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll solve some of these challenges. There's no doubt in my mind. I totally agree. Thank you so much, Rupa. Thank you. For links to all the resources mentioned in this episode, visit cultofpedagogy.com, click podcast, and choose episode 99. To get a weekly email from me about my newest blog posts, podcast episodes, and products, sign up for my mailing list at cultofpedagogy.com slash subscribe. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. This podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. To learn more, visit edupodcastnetwork.com.